to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 as we continue our study of the seven churches uh, that are addressed here in these first three chapters of Revelation. We are today uh, coming to the church in Thyatira. Revelation 2, 18. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay, you, lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And may God open our ears by his Holy Spirit to hear what he says to us today. Well, the other cities that we have addressed so far in the first couple of chapters here in Revelation were centers of government or centers of religion. They were important cities like Ephesus, but the city we read about today, Thyatira, is the smallest of all these cities, and it was a little different in that it was a commercial center. It was located in a good place for trade, and archaeological evidence shows that there were numerous trade guilds there, and they, that's an important part of Roman culture, these trade guilds. Uh, the archaeological evidence informs us that there were wool workers in Thyatira, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, bronze smiths, and even slave traders. So a lot of commerce going on in the city, and the, that's what the people did there. They worked in businesses. Now over in Acts 16:14, you might recall the, the account of Lydia. Lydia was from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple. She was one of these dyers that uh, we just mentioned. Uh, worked with garments, dyed with purple, which was a very luxurious item in that day. And she was the first recorded convert to Christianity in Europe. So she holds a place of fame in Christendom as being that first convert in Europe. Now it would have been difficult for Christians living in Thyatira because uh, 
in order to uh, make a living in your trade, you had to be a member of one of these trade guilds. It was kind of like being in the union, I suppose. And you had to follow a certain rule and you had to participate in the activities of the guild. And that meant that one would have to attend these guild banquets. And the meat they would be eating was meat that had been sacrificed to false idols. And the feasts that they had would easily degenerate into sexual immorality, sexual looseness. And if a a Christian refused to conform and take part in these feasts and these activities, he would be out of a job or find it very difficult to be uh, considered part of the group of people doing the type of work that they would have been doing. So these people, these Christians refused to conform, and it was difficult for them. They couldn't make a living, and they suffered. So this church certainly faced an uphill battle in the culture in which they lived, in the city in which they lived. Now, a couple couple of things I want us to see from the passage today. First of all, something to which we should aspire, and then something which we should avoid. Now, first, verse 19 tells us uh, of some commendations for the church in Thyatira. Jesus says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So they had, they had love and faith that was exhibited in their service to God and to their neighbors. They had patient endurance in the middle of all these trials they were facing. Uh, they, uh, even more so, even better, they were growing in these things. It says here that their latter works exceeded the first. So they had become, over time, more faithful, more loving, more servant-hearted, more uh, enduring than they had ever been. Verse 19 is a great commendation for any Christian. We should all aspire to be known for our good works as Christians, our love for the Lord and and love for others, our faith in the Lord, our service to him and his kingdom, and our patient endurance through trials and tribulations we face as followers of Christ. And on top of all that, to see growth in these things as we go along year after year, to have our latter works exceed those works that we did at first. We've been talking about church revitalization, wanting to be renewed as a church, and and, uh, we see here a vital church, a vital, living, growing church. And and a church that is vital and live is a church that is marked by love and faith and service, good works and endurance and growth in these things. If we're healthy, you grow. And if a church is healthy... It grows. If it's alive, a living organism, it grows. Do we see ourselves growing? Do you see yourself growing in love for the Lord and for others? In your faith, in the, is your faith in the Lord growing deeper? Are you trusting the Lord with more of your life? How are you serving the Lord and others? Are you using your gifts for the building up of Christ's kingdom in His church? Are you persevering in these matters or are you becoming apathetic? That happens to us. We have a tendency 
like the Ephesian church, for our love to grow cold. If we are growing, we should hold fast to those things, stay strong in the Lord, keep doing those things that cause health and growth, like many in the church in Thyatira were doing. So here's something for us to aspire to, to be described like this church in Thyatira in verse 19, but not after verse 20, because we see here something to which we should aspire, but we also see something here which we should avoid. Verse 20 says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now there was, uh, there's a scenario here that we can deduce from the passage, uh, there was a person, not from outside the church, but from inside the church, who was causing the people in the church to stumble. This woman is called Jezebel, and she calls herself a prophetess. And she's, as it says here, teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Seems odd to read this after verse 19. You have a church growing in love and faith and service and patiently enduring. But here is someone who has gotten into the church and is getting a hearing and is causing people to, to engage in false worship, is, is engaging in sexual immorality. Now the name Jezebel is probably symbolic here. It may, there may have been someone Name Jezebel in the church seems a little unlikely, but we may can deduce that it's probably symbolic, like many of the names here in uh, in Revelation. Jezebel, of course, uh, the original Jezebel was the was the queen to King Ahab. Uh, she was a very wicked woman, and she and King Ahab was a very wicked king of Israel. You can read about them in First Kings. She convinced Ahab to abandon true worship of the true and living God, Yahweh, and instead worship false gods, the false gods Baal and Asherah. And she made this false worship the state religion of Israel. She persecuted the prophets, putting them to, to death, and most notably she persecuted Elijah, Elijah the prophet. And of course he faced down her prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel, in that famous, uh, that famous uh, conflict between God and these false gods where God showed himself to be the one true God. So like Jezebel in the Old Testament, this Jezebel in Thyatira led the people of God astray. Now the question is how? How does a, a, a church that is described so well in verse 19 fall for this kind of activity, false worship, sexual immorality, and, and why was it being tolerated in the church? Well, it's impossible for us to know all the details for certain, but it isn't hard to imagine a scenario in that setting that would explain this. 
You remember I said about the trade guilds, these Christians in Thyatira would have been struggling to make a living because of their refusal to participate in the, in the activities of the trade guilds, particularly these feasts where food was sacrificed to idols and, and sexual immorality followed on the heels of it. They would have refused to take part in the false worship and the sexual immorality at these guild banquets and, and that would have made it difficult for them to get jobs and to keep jobs and to have a profession. People wouldn't buy from them, even. So they were marginalized in this commercial city. They could not do their jobs. And here comes this prophetess Jezebel, someone with a bit of authority. She was uh, someone who had boasted of deep spiritual knowledge, saying that she was a prophetess. And she was probably teaching something along the lines of, you know, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It's separate from the soul. If the soul is pure, that's all that matters. So you can do whatever you want with your body. Now, this would have been a welcome message to some of these beleaguered Christians. Well, here is somebody telling us that we can, as Christians, go and participate in these feasts in this sexual immorality and it doesn't affect our soul and we can work and prosper. So you can see how they can justify their participation in these activities and become commercially successful, come uh, to where they could support themselves. And what they were doing was sacrificing principle for expediency. They were sacrificing holiness for expediency. And they faced an age-old question that we face today. Now, nobody's taking our job away from us because we're not eating food sacrificed to idols. But we have the same issue in our day. It looks a little different, but the principle is the same. How far should Christians accept and adopt contemporary standards and practices? It's very easy for us to justify ourselves. We don't want to stand out in the culture too much to where people say, oh, I don't want to be like those Christians. They're just sticks in the mud. Or, you know, if we try to be holy, uh, we don't want people to think that we're self-righteous, and so we compromise. See, our heart is always ready to justify ourselves. Our heart is always ready to make an excuse for sin and compromise with the world. We really must weigh all of our practices by God's word and ask ourselves when faced with this dilemma, can I keep the faith while I'm doing this? Is this honoring to God how I'm engaging in business, how I'm living my life? Is this practice that I'm doing a denial of the faith? If people see me doing this, does that tell them that I believe in the Lord, that I'm a follower of Jesus? Can I be devoted to the Lord while I'm engaged in this practice? See, the church in Thyatira was tolerating this. They can look at these guys and say, well, they're just trying to make a living. Their heart's in the right place. You know, cut them some slack. I saw a similar, uh, uh, similar dilemma in, the ch in a church one time. There was an officer in the church, and he was a widower. And he started dating a woman who was a divorcee. And they did not get married 
or they would not get married because if she got married, she would lose her alimony. So they lived together. And he was an officer in the church. And some of the other officers defended this practice. It was financially expedient to live in sin. And how often that's true. We find sin makes things expedient. And I had a, recently had another minister in another town describe to me that exact same scenario that he was seeking to deal with and help with. Well, in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10, it says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds." It's not a mistake that Jesus is described here in verse 18 as the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. And he describes himself as the one who, who sees all, who is aware, who knows. He searches the heart. He knows what's really going on in our lives. He knows what's really going on in our hearts. So he's writing this letter to confront them with this sin, sacrificing holiness because it's expedient in the world. But we see this here, the kindness of the Lord. He tells them to repent. Verse 21 says about Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she refused. This letter to Thyatira is a call to repentance, a stern warning to repent. Now what is repentance? The word repentance in Hebrew means to turn. We turn away from sin, turn to God. In Greek, it literally means to change one's mind. So we can put those two together. Repentance involves recognizing that you're doing something wrong and, and you agree with God's assessment of that behavior and you are turning to him for forgiveness. That is repentance. Changed mind means changed actions. See, if you really haven't changed your mind about sin, you'll keep doing it. You might say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me, over and over again. But if your mind has not been really changed about that sin, you're going to keep doing it. If you don't recognize and believe that it is actually dangerous to your soul and offensive to God, you're going to keep doing it. So God graciously calls us to repentance, to change. John the Baptist said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Don't just say the words, but show that you truly are repentant. Change. 
Now, why are there sins we struggle with so much? Well, one, we may not be convinced, really convinced that they are sins. Or maybe we're not repenting of all sin. For example, an addict returns time and again to his drink, his drugs, his pornography, whatever the addiction is. He knows it's wrong and harmful and he despises himself before it, but he can't seem to help himself. Well, he probably needs to dig deeper into his heart and see there what is driving him to that sin. There's probably an underlying sin to the sins. See, the heart is it's desperately wicked. It's sick. It's like, a, it's like an onion. When you peel away one layer of sin, the next layer is sin. And the layer after that is sin. And the layer after that is sin. And all these sins are propping up one another's sins. Usually the addict is, is, is engaging in idolatry. That drink, that drug, that porn that they're turning to, looking for comfort, looking for escape, looking for peace, has become an idol. They're, they're looking for what only God can give them. They're actually worshiping these things instead of worshiping God. Addiction really is misplaced worship. So we, we need to peel back the layers of our sin and see what's really at the heart of it. Now, I bet if I ask you to think of the sin that you struggle with the most, you probably already in your mind you have it. Have you in your mind come to agree with God that it is sin? Have you repented of all the sin connected to it? The Bible tells us to examine ourselves, to peel back the layers, to see what's there. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict us if we are... Sensing that now that there is a sin that we need to work on, that, that we need to repent of. and Maybe we're having trouble. The Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to convict us of that. That's gracious of God. He's reaching out to us, calling us to repent. John 16, 8 says, the, the Spirit comes, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 4, 30. We can push the Holy Spirit away, we can ignore Him. We can quench the Spirit. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. But the Lord is sending the Spirit to convict us. And He's giving us time to repent. Just like Jezebel. Will we refuse like her to do so? 2 Peter 3 says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, the Lord is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that's why he... Lingers. That's why he hasn't returned. 
That's why we haven't faced the consequences of our sin like we should. He's giving us an opportunity to repent. And I pray that the Lord would grant us repentance. Repentance from our sin. Repentance from our self-righteousness. I'll close with this illustration. I read a story of a preacher. Uh, this, this woman was telling the preacher an illustration she, he used that changed her life. She was seeking the Lord and really was not coming to understand Christianity at all. The preacher said in his sermon, some of you are like people wandering around in the forest. It's dark and you've lost your way. And, and some of you have fallen off of a cliff and you've grabbed a, 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 a little branch that's sticking out of the side of the hill and of the side of the mountain and, and it's breaking and you're grabbing another one. And people have come to the top and they're saying, hold on, hold on, hold on to that branch. But what they don't see and what you don't see is that underneath is Jesus saying, let go, let go, I'll catch you. See, what are we hanging on to? Are we hanging on to our sin? Are we hanging on to our own self-righteousness? Sometimes people will encourage us to do so. Try harder, try harder. I'm not telling you to try harder today. I'm telling you to let go. Jesus is calling you to repent, turn to him. If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our, our, all our unrighteousness. Let ourselves go into the arms of Christ. He will graciously wash and cleanse us and change us. Make us new. Make us people full of love and faith and service and endurance. Yes, it will be difficult, just like the people in Thyatira, but the promise is for all of us. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will bless him. I'll give him authority in this case. We read all these letters. There's always some wonderful blessing for those who overcome. The only way we can do so is by throwing ourselves upon his mercy and get his forgiveness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word that it calls us to repentance, that you call us to repentance. Lord, grant us repentance. We're so foolish and clinging to the sins that so easily beset us. But Lord, we pray that we will let them go. Lord, we, we pray that you would forgive us for all of our efforts to, to justify ourselves in your sight. And help us, Lord, to lean completely upon your righteousness, credit to, to us. We pray this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.